On whatever device you're using to listen to this podcast, are you using an ad blocker? I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and today on Radio Berkman, we're talking about why an estimated 200 million internet users are. With the launch of their latest mobile operating system, Apple invited in a whole host of new apps that allow ad blocking, or as they call it, content blocking. Now users can control what they see when they use their iPhone's web browser. If they don't want ads, they can keep them from showing up entirely. And if I have to tell you why someone would want to block ads, you've probably never used the internet. Simply put, ads are a scourge, a menace. They pop up, they preload, they obscure the page you're trying to read, they play videos you didn't click on, and it gets even worse on mobile. A recent New York Times survey of the top 50 news sites showed that blocking ads while surfing their mobile versions could save up to 14 megabytes per page loaded. Loading 14 megabytes could take up to 30 seconds over 4G. And if you're on a restricted data plan, it could cost you up to 30 cents per page. All of that money going to your mobile provider, not the content publisher. But for content publishers and the ad providers that keep them alive, ad blocking poses a huge problem. Most of the commercial web as we know it exists because of advertising. When web users aren't loading ads on their favorite ad-supported site, or otherwise paying the site, by subscribing, sponsoring, buying merchandise, the site is losing out on cash to keep them alive. And we're talking serious cash. Digital ad spending is expected to reach $170 billion this year, with $69 billion, 40% of ad spending, in the mobile space. That's a lot of money to spend on ads that might not even be seen. Ad blocking software is now in use by 200 million people around the globe. Doc Searles is a journalist and author who worked in the ad industry years ago. He is referred to ad blocking as the biggest boycott in human history. Radio Berkman producer Elizabeth Gillis spoke with Searles about what's going on in the ad block wars and the part played by users like you. Searles says one of the biggest problems surfaced by the ad blocking war is privacy. He says the internet wasn't designed to keep your information private, and that's made it really easy for advertisers to see where you go and what you do online. Your, your blog post, it's called the Adblock War series, and this the term Adblock War, it's being used a lot. So I was wondering if you, in the most basic way, could kind of explain, like, what is the Adblock War? Who's fighting it against whom? Or um, maybe what might be... Another word to you? Sure. So, so ad blockers have been around for a long time in one form or another. And it didn't start to be called a war until it really had an effect. And that was a little bit after what we call ad tech. Ad tech is the, the corner of the advertising business that wants to follow you around. That's tracking based. As that began to gear up and really go almost, as I would put it, out of control on the advertisers and publishers side, people just resisted it. I think only geeks would have, would have picked up on ad blockers for the most part, early on. But once everybody found themselves being followed around by what's called retargeting, as advertising became more and more annoying as well, more of the rest of us started to adopt it. What happened was the industry started, that industry started to freak out. And they started calling it a war. But my point here is that I think it's just the first stage. I think the next stage is engagement. There has to be engagement sooner or later. And I've talked so much over the last several weeks with people in the ad tech industry. They, they do recognize what I said in one of those posts, that this is the market talking. The market is speaking to them. It's it's very smart for businesses to listen to the market when it's telling them something. It's interesting you bring up all of these different, I guess, kind of like stakeholders in this, because obviously there are the advertisers, but then there's also, you said, publishers and web browsers, like the people who create those. Where Where does everyone stand on ad tech? 
And where is everyone kind of situated in this war? Yeah, let, let, let me outline it. Uh, on one side is users, you and me, the, 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 the several billion people who are on, on the net uh, one way or another. And we're one faction. And, and 200 million of us, according to PageFair, at least, are running an ad blocker of some kind. Uh, that's one corner of this. There are basically three. Uh, the second is publishers. And publishers are in generally any ad-supported website. That convention is one that comes from the advertising industry. Yeah, and that also includes, like, Facebook and, and yeah. Google. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're... Their, their sites, they're massive and they have, and they have other services like messaging and so forth, but, but they are, in a, they still fall into that intermediary role that we're going to call publishers. And then the third are the advertisers and, and that the advertising world itself is split in two. This is the first piece. Yeah. That- I was going to, so I was going to mention this because it's so easy from the user's standpoint to say like, oh, ad- advertising, ad tech, not something that I want. That's like the bad side of this war. But you kind of separate advertising into these two different camps. Right. It, yeah. I, I call them wheat and chaff, trying to separate advertising's wheat and chaff. And, and the wheat is, Stuff that is, I mean, it may be annoying, but it's inherently innocent of any kind of surveillance wrongdoing. Right. And can you give an example of that? Yeah. Every time you see a billboard, every time you watch an ad on TV, uh, on the Super Bowl, anytime you hear an ad on the radio when you're driving down the road, none of those are following you. Their whole purpose is to do two things. One is send an economic signal of sufficiency. They're saying, we're big enough to advertise. So you've heard of us. And the second is to get across a, what they call a brand message. You're just simply trying to make clear what it is that you're trying, what you're in business for. Th- that may not be a pleasant thing, but it is a helpful thing for companies to have people know what they're doing and, and who they are. The main purpose of traditional advertising, Madison Avenue type of advertising, what, what the TV series Mad Men was all about, had, did not have surveillance as, as one of its missions at all. And it was uncomplicated. It's provenance was clear. It, you know what all the moving parts are. There's nothing more complicated than that. Ad tech is descended from junk mail. You send out a whole lot of messages. You personalize them as much as you can, and you let the world be littered with your waste, and you don't care about the waste. You only care about, about the responses. So what does this chaff, what does this look like to the average person using a web browser or an app, just to kind of like bring it home? It's most obvious when it's when it's clearly targeted at you, when it when it knows a little too much about you, when it enters what what they call the uncanny valley, which is that wait a minute, I was just I was just looking at fly fishing over here, and now I'm getting an ad for fishing tackle over there. What just happened? And that's called retargeting. And retargeting, by the way, that that's the thing people can point to and say that creeps me out. But direct response was perfectly suited for the web and the net because in the digital world you have accounting and you have accountability and suddenly you can say wait a minute ever i can know whether or not these things have gone through i can i can i can get big data out of them and so that kind of that's another thing that you you mentioned in your blog series it was almost like advertisers thought like it's digital now we we have to use this data right Right. And uh, Shoshana Zuboff is coming out with a book called The Big Other, I believe is the title of it. And she has what she calls Zuboff's Laws. Whatever can be digitized will be digitized, but she takes it one step further in saying what will go wrong, which is it will lead to surveillance. 
that is the poison pill that ad tech has given to advertising overall. When we think of advertising now, especially online, we tend to think of the kind that's ill-behaved rather than the kind that simply wants to get a message across, which is why I wrote the Wheat and Jaff thing. The last two days, by the way, I spent in the company of a bunch of other people. One of them is a guy who's one of those people who says, well, you're stealing from publishers if you're blocking ads. Right, if- and that's a, that's a, that's an argument made by a lot of publishers, especially like media companies. The Washington Post, they, oh, you know, yeah, like when you Washington go on their website Post. now, there's a little like banner at the bottom that says, we noticed you have an ad blocker. I just gave away that I have an ad blocker. And yeah. we're hoping that you would donate in some other way. So that's, that's kind of a valid argument, I guess. It, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one on. It's not. Um, it's not if you take either of these two metaphors. One is my browser is my private space, is my private vehicle. You could say it's my house. Let's say it's my house. Uh, and the other one is it's my car, and I use it to travel the information highway and visit sites. But if we take the first metaphor, which is that I have used HTTP, the hypertext protocol, to request a document. That's still what the protocol says. I'm asking for a document, and I'm expecting to see a page. Nobody is going to that page looking for ads, any more than anybody goes to a newspaper looking for ads. They like, they appreciate that the ads pay for the paper, along with whatever they may pay or not pay, but they're not going there for the ads. They bring it to their house, and if they leave those ads at the door, there's nothing wrong with that. Can somebody just put this on my, my last post as a as a uh, uh, a comment? I really like it, which is we're offering free donuts. Come on in and have some free donuts. And if I go in there and I take some free donuts, I'm not stealing if I don't look at the ads they've got on the wall. So in this case, is it really just changed because unlike with that paper or with that donut, it's so much clearer now that we're leaving the ads on the doorstep. We're not taking them inside of our house or we're not acknowledging them. Yeah, but I talked to, I can't give their name right now, but I talked to one of the biggest publishers in the world yesterday and to a guy who works for them who wrote the one of the books on how to do ad tech who said, we have to stop. We just have to do regular old advertising. And what does that look like? It looks the same, honestly, except for you know it's not personalized. You know it's not tra- it's not based on tracking. I just find this very interesting, though, because now that ad blockers have arrived and it doesn't differentiate between what's tracking you and what's not tracking nope. you, but people have already adopted ad blockers. So how do you get people to accept the wheat now that they've kind of experienced life without ads entirely? Well, I think all of the ad blocking systems, and there, there are many, but they're all going to try different things. And they're also, some of them are talking to the browser companies and there's the intention to do things here about taking it the next step, encouraging the ad blockers to extend a, an, not just an olive branch, but, but code that says, let's engage, but not, not this, what ads do you like? Nobody likes any ads. Okay. Let's, you know, t- to me, there's a distinction between, I'm thinking hashtaggy here, right? There's a hashtag that says no ads and there's a hashtag that says safe ads. Safe ads at least admits that advertising does pay for these sites and or many of these sites, and we can tolerate it as long as it's not tracking us. And I think that either ad blockers need to evolve or other developments need to evolve past ad blockers. So we have a nonprofit called Customer Commons that will be for terms that we assert as individuals what Creative Commons is for copyright. That's a, a signal that they send to every site they visit that says what their terms are. And their terms might be um, 
Don't track me off your site. No third-party cookies. You can only keep my data for 30 days. And uh, and those will inevitably be things that we will deploy in our browsers. It's kind of a combination of efforts between the user kind of making very clear this is what we'll accept and this is what we won't accept, the browser and the ad blockers kind of working together and making sure that, okay, this is what we're going to implement based on what you said. And then what's what's like the ad company's role in all of this? What should they be Well, doing? here, so a week ago Thursday, I, I was uh, at a gathering where one of the largest purveyors of ad tech, but also of regular brand advertising, the kind I call wheat, and we're talking many dozens of, millions of dollars spent on ad tech and they killed it dead they stopped it and they stopped it because it doesn't work the poorly kept secret of ad tech is it actually doesn't work that well when you're creeped out by an ad that doesn't help <laughs> you know it doesn't help i mean you may never drink another budweiser in your life but at least you you know you know the budweiser ads you see on the game are not doing you any harm and are not following you around it it has at least one positive effect which is making you familiar with that company I mean, this is all interesting because, like, what exactly did Apple do with their response to ad blockers and, and mobile? So my understanding is that Apple has just kind of made it easier for someone to develop software that would allow for them to block ads. But they haven't done it themselves, right? They haven't gone in there and and kind of developed something that says, like, this is our thing that will block ads, no. and here's how you can customize it, right? Correct. The, the, what they did was created, um, they support content blocking at closer to a system level in iOS 9 for Safari, for their browsers. So Apple's iOS 9, it's not the earlier versions, it, you know, will support content blockers as apps, and what they're doing is very respectful of privacy. I should also add that what they're doing with Apple Health uh, is, I think, a very good window on what they're going to do with everything else. That, that phone in your pocket is a, is a diagnostic tool, and and Apple wanted to make sure that that they're that when it's used as a diagnostic tool, that you and I got the data that came out of it. That's part of their terms for anybody doing research. That the data is encrypted, that the data is is ours and it's and it's shared in a very permitted way that they control in the sense that they're setting really good policies for us. Right. Something I've been thinking about while we've been talking is kind of you brought it up earlier. Ad blocking does have this like link to privacy and, and the way we feel about our privacy and our data, um, the data we create without even realizing it. So. Do you think that this whole conversation about ads could be kind of a gateway into a conversation about users being able to control their own data um, in a kind of a broader, larger sense than it is already? Oh, sure. Uh, I think I think that's actually what it's about. And uh, I think obviously people are 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 using ad blockers to just block the ads, but their data is part of it. And I think it it is changing the conversation about data. It's also changing the way development's going on around data. We, we've always been about personal data. How do we use it? How do we store it? How do we curate it? How do we selectively disclose it? How do we send out signals of of intent with uh, you know based on it? The most important thing though is setting boundaries. We 
we we need to set boundaries that that are simply manners. You know, these are social understandings that we have. We don't reach inside each other's clothes, for example. And yet, when if you look at our browsers as clothing, that's exactly what ad tech does. It reaches inside our clothes and and plants a tracking beacon, you know, and then follows us around. And if you say, wait a minute, that's weird, they'll say, well, we're just trying to give you a better advertising experience, you know, which is if we want one. Quite aside from that, it does bring up a, a necessary, a necessary conversation about what's okay and what's not okay. And, and what's so great about ad blocking is we're saying something's not okay. But it's almost like the internet's making us have to rethink what we thought were our social contracts or our, yeah. our understanding of our social space. Yeah, what are the norms that we need here? You know, and I think the models for those are very familiar to us. They're here in the physical world. Let's port them over. Well, how do we do that? Well, that's a lot of coding, frankly. And, <laughs> yeah, and we're going to work it out over time. And we need lots of attempts. And we also, by the way, need lots of research around that. This is one that, that is a, a live work in progress. Right, right. For for the for the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a good conversation to be having. All right. Well, thank you again. And thank you. Doc Searles is a journalist, author, and Berkman Center affiliate. You can find out more about him and his series, The Adblock Wars, on the show notes for today's episode at cyber.law.harvard.edu. This episode of Radio Berkman was produced by Elizabeth Gillis and me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, from the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 